Good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm Archie Poulos, and uh, it's great. It's a hoot to be here with you. It's a chance to catch up with old friends and to, uh, to make new friends as well. Uh, a bit about me. I, my heart's desire is ethnic church planting. I'd love to spend the rest of the days that God gives me doing that. It's just our circumstances of life makes that a little bit difficult at the moment, and I grieve greatly at not being able to. I'm the child of migrant parents. They were born five kilometres from each other in a small island in Greece, but they had to come to Australia to meet. And uh, they came here in order to get security and make money. God brought them here so they might have children who hear the gospel. And so that's why I'm so committed to ethnic church planting. I've been asked tonight to speak with you about ethnic church planting. And let me say, you're all church planters, which is fantastic. Ethnic church planting is what we've been talking about all day, and it's not a sexy topic for church planters. So well done you for being here, and well done you for desiring to keep doing it as well. For this land, even if we do our church planting in our traditional models really well, we'll only just touch the surface. We all need to be thinking of ethnic church planting, just like Eugene said before. So I do. I, I've been asked to talk about the shape of uh, ethnic church planting in Australia, but I thought because it is a topic that doesn't naturally spring to mind when you think about church planting, you know, we think matrix model when you're thinking about church planting, but ethnic, what's all that about? I thought I'd start by telling you my story, talk a little bit about why we even bother discussing ethnic church ministry, and then answer the question that I've been set, and that is the shape of multicultural ministry, church planting ministry in Australia, before moving on to what the Bible says that might shape our practice, and then some marching orders for us. That's what I intend doing in the 25 minutes that's been given to me. So my story, uh, it's not my story, it's the story of God and the way that he always works and the story of the ministry, one of the ministries that I had the privilege of being part of, which was called the Greek Bible Fellowship. Uh, it started at the University of New South Wales under the ministry of Philip Jensen uh, a third of a century ago. Uh, the University of New South Wales had 1,000 Greek people in it in a population at the university of 12,000, and yet none of them came to Bible study, none of them professed faith. And so Philip set about trying to reach them. He tried to do it, unable to do it. And so he found a Greek person who he could read the Bible with, and he started a Bible study. Uh, that person, sadly, his marriage broke up, and so did the congregation that he established he tried again uh, with another person, a, a lady who was just really vibrant. So she came the first week. She brought seven the next week. She brought, brought 16 the next week. She brought 25 the next week and didn't show up again after that. You'd think you'd give up after that, wouldn't you? Uh, but he didn't. And then uh, finally he found me and, uh, and another girl. And uh, we just started reading the Bible together. And whenever we could find Greek people, we'd say, come and read the Bible with us. And the ministry grew from that. So what do you learn from this? Don't be put off by failure. Uh, it's, uh, there's a whole lot of ploughing that has got to take place. And in God's good time, he gives you growth. Secondly, be proactive in being a sponsor and a scout for ethnic ministries. Philip Jensen, apart from the name Philip, which is Greek, didn't have a Greek bone in his body. Uh, but what he did was he saw the gospel opportunity 
and so looked for how could we reach Greek people. So, and he sought to put resources into that. So he gave an hour of his time every week, and for some weeks two hours of his time, uh, which he spent with just two of us for that whole year to get the ministry going. So be a sponsor and be a scout for the ministry. And uh, finally, the way you do ministry, is it's not rocket science. You gather people together who will read the scriptures with you. That's a Bible study. That's the, our language of Bible study, isn't it? And over time, that may well develop into formal meetings. That's my story. That's the way that God has worked in our midst. So why discuss ethnic ministry? Ray has talked about this for those of you that were in his elective this afternoon. We know that heaven will have people of every language, every race and every tongue. The kingdom of God is never and will never be populated by one group. And I've got to say that because we keep being beaten over the head by it here at, uh, at Geneva Push and everywhere else too, but we are naturally racist and colonialist. And by we, I mean this Greek person. And by we, I mean the Anglos that are sitting out there. And by we, I mean the Chinese. Everybody is by nature uh, racist and colonialist. I know we keep being beaten up by the Ethnic Affairs Commission and the Human Rights Commission, and it's not my intent to, intent to beat us up about being racist, but by racist I mean our identity is tied up with being comfortable and wanting people who are like us. Because the way that you learn stuff is you get knowledge by assimilating it into what you already know. Well, what you are is your ethnic background. And so that's why we're racist. And colonialist, uh, I think it's a particular issue for ethnics, but we Greek feel it too because Greek is best. We all know that. Uh, (laughs) My problem is that the Chinese think the same thing of their culture too, so I don't know what we do when we gather together. But, uh, But colonial, we know best. And so what we strive to do, even as we want to take the gospel to other people in our land, is we want to help them, but we think we know how we should help them. And we need to recognise this because majority culture always dominates. And so when you're a majority culture, you feel comfortable. People who are not of the majority culture come in and they say, it's not us. Majority culture, majority culture doesn't take much. All it takes is probably about 25% of a group to be an identifiable group and they can become majority culture. You see it in white flight, don't you? Our suburbs uh, in all of our cities in Australia and certainly in the United States, when you get an identifiable group that's at about 25%, all of the Anglos flee. Normally in a city and they go to the suburbs further out because that's what we are like. We are racist We are people who just want to be with people that are like us. And that's enough on that, because my time will disappear. um, I was going to wax lyrical, but I won't. Uh, This is the thing I was asked to speak on, and that is multicultural church planting in Australia. As I've looked at the literature and the anecdotes, I'm not going to put up stuff on the screen. Um, You'll have to take my word for it, and I can give you some of the background for it. I think there are five models that we use for engaging people of other backgrounds with the gospel. And by the way, while I'm talking about ethnic ministry, I'm also talking about any specialist type of ministry. So ministry to people with disabilities is the same sort of thing. Ministry to people who are workers in the hospitality industry and so therefore can't get to church as our normal time. Or it fits for all of those. 
but there are five models. First model is commonly called the international model. And that is it picks up the reality that in heaven there will be every language, every race and every tongue. And because that is what heaven is going to be right, like, it is only right and only natural that that be reflected in the demography of our churches. So as heaven is going to have everybody, so our church gathering should too. So you've got to have the Greek, you've got to have the Italian, you've got to have the Lebanese, you've got to have the Chinese, you've got to whatever, you keep going on and on, uh, because that, that's the reality of heaven. That is the common model that we used. Uh, it is the one that most people go for, and I think it is the model that most churches think that they are doing. They think that they are reaching all of the nations by having the international model. It is a great desire to have to try and reach anyone, but there is success in it, but the success is very limited when we've looked at the evidence. You say, we open our doors to everyone. The trouble is, majority culture dominates and people come and they don't stay. And so you've got to own up to that. The international model actually doesn't have the runs on the board. Every church I go to says that we are the most welcoming church that I know. The problem is you're there. You like it there. That's why it's welcoming. It's the people who aren't there with you yet that don't find it welcoming. That's the first model, the international model. Second one, we were introduced by, to, by David this morning, the homogeneous unit church made popular by Donald McGavran. And homogeneous unit basically says like attracts like. People like being with people that are like them. Now, people argue against the homogeneous unit model and people argue for the homogeneous unit model. Let me say a couple of things. The first thing to say is all that the homogeneous unit model is is a sociological reality. It's a true description of the way human beings function. We like being with people that are like us. And so it's good to name it. So it's a sociological reality but the homogeneous unit principle is a wicked master. Now, McGavran used that as the, as the controlling model of the way that you should do church planting, and it becomes a wicked master because it is, sin, it is sinful, isn't it, to only be concerned for you and your comfort. And so the homogeneous unit says, let's make it the most comfortable for people that it can be. And so while it's a reality, while it can be used evangelistically, it is a wicked master. And so here are some of my reflections on the homogeneous unit model, which is the one that I have used in most of my ministry, let me say. Firstly, homogeneous units are always provisional. That is, you can think, I am going to try and reach this group of people, this homogeneous group of people, and you start that ministry to that group of people and you realise that is not the homogeneous unit that actually exists. So we set up the Greek Bible Fellowship. Can you work out what the homogeneous unit might have been? That's right, Greek, wasn't it? What we found out, what it turned out to be, is second-generation minorities, because around the university, people who were Greek were great friends with the Macedonians and the Italians and the Lebanese who didn't fit in with the majority culture. And so we became the WOG Church. Same as Ray with, the, uh, with MBM. It's multicultural, but it started as Maltese. But what happens is... It's, it's the wrong homogeneous unit, so it's always provisional. Secondly, the way you assess whether you run with the homogeneous unit uh, model of church, homogeneous unit principle or not, I think is badly done. 
People look at a homogeneous unit church as if it's a snapshot and say it's good because it draws people or it's bad because it doesn't reflect the reality of heaven. And I think that it, what you need to do in order to understand the homogeneous unit uh, and to assess it is to think of it longitudinally. If people like being with people that are like them and you want to share the gospel, wouldn't you want them to come in contact with gospel people? But as time goes on and as people come under the sound of the gospel and God by his Holy Spirit works in their lives, they'll be changed. And so one of the things that we did in our Greek Bible Fellowship was I used to have a couple of questions. One of my questions was I'd ask myself at the end of every year, if God were to see this ministry close at the end of the year, could our people be happily enfolded into other ministries, other churches? If the answer to that is no then the things that holds us together is our ethnicity, not the gospel of Jesus. And the other question I ask is a similar sort of one, just a personal one, though, and that is I say to people, if, if they've been with us for, say, three years, the number varies depending on how quickly they mature, but if people have been with us for three years and I ask the question, why do you come here? If the answer is because we're all Greek here, then we have failed. If, I, if the answer is because God is gathering his people, then we've succeeded. So the homogeneous unit, as David Williams said this morning, is a great evangelistic tool, but we must never cease there. It's about recognising that we are brought into the new family of God. Third thing, so you assess it longitudinally. Third thing, you, it helps, the homogeneous unit helps us to focus on the people we are trying to reach and so to ask questions and to shape our action. If you say we will try and reach anyone and everyone, you can just do, keep doing what you've always done, can't you? Homogeneity makes you ask the question, is this that we are doing here the best for the souls of these people that they might be saved and that they might be grow more like Jesus? Fourthly, I'm a fan of the homogeneous unit, but you must not use it to exclude people. So we set up the Greek Bible Fellowship... Uh, and lots of Anglos wanted to come and join us. And I used to say, why are you bothering coming to us? You're driving past five good other churches to get to us. Why are you staying there? If they want to be missionaries, that's fantastic. You can stay with us, but why not keep going to your other church? But also, we had an Egyptian lady uh, come and join us, and because we were Greek, we actually sang a song each week in Greek. Um, and she came and joined us, and I didn't want to say, well, you're Egyptian, you can't come. It's silly. It's not an exclusive thing. What it does is just help you focus. Fifthly, structure. You need uh, to have a ministry that is, I think, more ambiguous than what we set up in the Greek Bible Fellowship. In the Greek Bible Fellowship, we met and we said, what is necessary for church? What you need to do to be a church is you need to read the word of God together and you need to pray. But by the time we had set up, we'd been going for two weeks, it was almost indistinguishable from most church meetings that you have. Uh, I think we, I, we, I should have, we should have been much more ambiguous and said, let's think out what is the best for these people around here. So what do people gather around and how do they gather around? Uh, you know, wog, Wogs, Greeks will always say it's around food, but other people gather around other things and that will shape the way you do things. So there's the third. The, so the first one, international. Second one, homogeneous unit. You'll be pleased to know the other three are much faster. Third one, the way you can do ethnic ministry or specialist ministry, is congregations in fellowship. 
That is, you can have a targeted ministry to a particular ethnic group as part of the same parish. So this congregation is reaching Chinese. This congregation is reading, uh, reaching people from the subcontinent. This congregation is targeting those of Middle Eastern background. We're all part of the same family of churches, but each congregation is focused on, uh, on what it's doing. Uh, Amartya Sen, you'll, um, S-E-N is his surname, he's well worth reading. He has a PhD in economics. Um, he's a Muslim uh, man and has written on, uh, on identity, and he uses the term plural monoculturalism. And I think that's what this sort of model is, congregations in fellowship. That is, you've got a whole lot of monocultures, but they exist in an environment of plurality. Let me say, if you want to follow this model, it requires ongoing effort from the leadership to make it work. And you've got to have a leadership who is trusted as well, because the congregations have got to follow them. Our own natural desire is to be racist and what happens is you create these sorts of churches um, unless you've got really hard work from the leadership. Each of them gets siloed, they exist in their own right and they make it a fiction of being congregations in fellowship. Fourthly, the lone ranger. That is, you find a person who sees a need to do a ministry so they just go and do it. So I have a friend who... uh, uh, noticed that there weren't many deaf people in our churches, so decided to set up a deaf ministry. Uh, we've got friends who thought there are so many Persians who are making their way to Australia, no one is reaching Persians, I'm going to start a Persian ministry. This sort of ministry doesn't have much evidence for having good success into the next generation. So it might work in the current generation, it doesn't work into the next generally. Or if it does work, and many of our Chinese churches are like this, they become institutional. So you succeed as a Chinese congregation because a Lone Ranger has had the idea. You end up creating a denomination and the structure controls you and the leadership controls you rather than being shaped by the gospel and taking new opportunities. Fifthly, the boundary rider is the final one I can find in the literature. Uh, We're trying to do this. Bruce, with Evangelism and New Churches, is trying to do it. And it's the idea of being a community chaplain. That is, somebody has to look for opportunities of where the gospel might get into people's lives. And that is by walking around the community, by talking to people, seeing who is there, seeing if you can get into conversations, see if God can open a doorway so that you can begin the next conversation which might lead to faith. And as you see someone come to faith, that opens a doorway to all of their families as well. So uh, you need... That's a great model to have, I think. By the way, SBS has been our great servant in this. If you go to the SBS website, you can actually see where all the migration is in all of the postcodes of Australia. It's been a great resource this year. So the Boundary Rider looks for opportunities, but let me say the Boundary Rider needs, I think, to be in good relationship with the homestead. That is, uh, being around the edges, but having... Uh, consolidated, solid ministry that supports them, that prays for them, that can help them, can resource them. So here are my comments before I move on to my final couple of points. My teacher at Moore College, Broughton Knox, as he was talking about churches and denominations, he says, the only thing that holds churches together is mutual love, prayer 
care and concern. That is, the only thing that enables us to work together is relationship, not formal things. And so I want to say, work as church planters in teams with others. Don't think that you do everything. Share your resources, mutual love, care, prayer and concern. What does the Bible tell us that might shape our practice? I've got no time to read the Bible with you, which is a terrible thing, isn't it? Um, so 2 Corinthians 8, 9, of course, is a crucial passage. Um, uh, if only I could remember, I've got Philippians 2 in my mind. Um, though he was rich, uh, Jesus Christ, consider Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The model of how we do church planting must never be you become like us, you fit into our way of doing things. What did the Lord Jesus do? Because he says your attitude should be this, that Jesus Christ emptied himself of his divine glory, made himself a servant so that he might reach other people. That's got to be the model that we use. And of course you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, I've become all things to all people so that by all means some might be saved. The other passage uh, that is helpful to remember as we think about ethnic church planting is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. The grace of God's appeared and it teaches us to say no to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the glorious appearance of our great God and Saviour who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to make for himself a people of his very own eager to do what is good. What has Jesus Christ done? He's gathering a people of his very own eager to do what is good to redeem us from all wickedness. And that's, that's the shape of what we're doing. It's not saving individuals. It's saving a people of his own. And finally, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might uh, see every man presented mature. That's what our goal is. It's proclaiming Jesus, not pulpiteering, is proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus so that people might be brought to maturity. We teach and admonish. So how do we do it? Up to my last point. My prayer, and I know the prayer of the directors of Geneva Push, is to see millions come to faith in this land of ours. To do that, we must do cross-cultural church planting. I think the way that we need to do it is by slowing down people sufficiently so they might take a second look at Jesus. Uh, I am told that the way that sandbars are created is that you've got sand that's in the water and what happens is if say you sink a ship what that does is there is sand in the water the water hits the ship it has to slow down to go around the ship the water has to slow down and so sand deposits down. What that does is create a bigger blockage so the next time even more sand deposits. So what I'm saying we need to do is we actually need to find a way to slow down those people, those 95% of Australia who are just walking past, not considering our saviour, and have them slow down. How do you have them slow down? Somebody of their ethnic background who is no longer a Muslim or a Jew slows people down, slows some people down enough to say why. When I, a Greek person, was not Greek Orthodox, 
it slowed people down enough to say, to be Greek is to be Greek Orthodox. How come you're not? Soon as they ask that question, you can have the next conversation, can't you? So what we are doing is looking for those things that can become like the sunken ship that can create those blockages that slow down the traffic. And then when you've found those folk, drag them out to where people are passing by of that group so that they might come in contact with them. So who should do it? I think it's always best to find someone from the ethnic group, but that's not necessary. Anyone can do it. But if you, are, if you, can, you need to pray the Lord that he will give you people from that particular ethnic group. So my call to you is to be scout. Do you know the affinity group of every person who's a member of your congregational life? You've got 100 names of uh, people on your church list. Can you list down the affinities that they are part of, the ethnic groups? Are they part of a disability group? Are they all those things because they become the opportunity for them to become those things that slow people down. So you go looking. You show positive discrimination like Philip, uh, and I thank God for this, did with me. Spend those hours so that as you see someone um, convert, as you see someone trained, as you envisage that person, they can begin a new ministry. When should you do it? Well, you should always be looking and praying. And when God gives you the resource, go for it. Where should you do it? Where it can be seen, where there's sufficient movement past that people will slow down. Up in Sydney, I don't know if it happens down here, in Melbourne's probably Grollo down here, but up in Sydney it's Meriton. Um, Meriton build blocks of units in the worst possible places. They're always beside freeways, but they always sell because they are so visible. And that's where we need to be doing our church plants, I think. And what should we do? be doing around the word, calling people to wholehearted obedience and creating the systems that will enable that. And why should we do it? Because God's at work and he calls us to faithful thoughtfulness in doing it as well. So I want to say to you, seek the Lord to give you people, work hard at it and plant daughter churches. I think it's Dan's turn.